Welcome to the Art of Transformational Leadership. This is a podcast where we talk to leaders from all walks of life. From entrepreneurs to educators, we discuss their journeys and the strategies they use to become successful. Stay tuned to learn more on how to lead with confidence. I'm your host, Libby, and our guest today is Taylor Layton. I hope I said that right. Uh, Taylor is currently based in Fort Myers, and uh, when this Georgia native isn't hiking in the West Mountains or cheering on her two beautiful children in a sports event, she's diversifying specific business development and marketing strategies for digital lead performance. So we're going to dive into some questions and we want to learn from her. So real quick before we get started, I met Taylor in SAS Academy, uh, which is Dan Martell's uh, mastermind group. And believe it or not, we met over Zoom um, within this group of a couple, I think Dan probably has like four or 500 people in the group, but we met on one of his Zoom teachings. And it was funny because he had told us to put like, where are you at right now? Put it in the chat. And um, they had dropped in Fort Myers. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in Fort Myers. And so I got to have lunch uh, with Aaron, who works as well at Digital Lead Performance. And then he introduced me to Taylor. And I was like, oh, I've met, I've seen her. She's so hard to miss with that beautiful blonde hair. <laughs> I've seen her on the Zooms. And um, and so th the company she works for is based right here in Fort Myers, where, where I'm from. Um, even though it is probably, are you guys a global company? National. National company. Um, and it was just totally random that we met through Dan's um, SAS Academy, which is a global mastermind. He has people from all over the world. Um, but we had to go there to meet and we're just in back each other's backyard. Um, small so we'll world, huh, Libby? It, it is a very small world. Um, so we'll get started. Um, we'll just dive right in. So, you know, people usually have an emphasis in, in, you know, empathy or I'm sorry, not empathy. I should be able to read. I can't read. <laughs> um, infinity, um, before they find their passion, right? Um, what sparked your passion uh, for building and maintaining this exceptional organization and the amazing culture that you guys have? You know, Libby, I moved to Florida back in 2014, and uh, that's when my husband and I had um, gotten married and decided to live in Florida rather than Georgia. And um, at the time, I was a director for a um, national nonprofit, but specifically in Southwest Florida. And um, one of the things that I was tasked to do was manage what's called Bikers for Babies at the time. Um, and it was the second largest biker um, ride benefiting um, these premature children. And um, to be frank with you, I was a little nervous. Um, so coming from a really small town in Georgia and now being with these groups of bikers, the second largest in the United States, I was a little nervous. And so my first time going down there, I walked in and I'll never forget. Um, it was in Naples, Harley Davidson, and there was a gentleman there by the name of Ryan. And he could tell I was a little nervous because I had never, um, you know, 
been in this world, right? You always think about the stereotypical biker, the stereotypical group, right? And he told me that day, you know, Taylor, us bikers, we're just like big teddy bears. You hug us and the stuffing comes out. And that was kind of that moment that I was like, wow, these are real people, right? And um, I've been now in the power sports industry for 10 years. Um, but with that interaction, being on the outside, working for the nonprofit and, um, you know, working with this group, I knew very quickly I was going to work for this company, right? The way they behaved, the culture that they had, you know, the environment that they fostered. And I remember telling my husband one time, I don't care if I sweep the floors, I am going to work for this company, right? It was just when you just have that impact, right? When somebody makes an impact on you, you're like, I just have to get in. I just have to be a part of this club. You know, I want to um, have this light and this joy and the love that these people had. And so fast forward to 2015, I actually started at Naples Harley-Davidson. Um, Scott will tell you, Scott Fisher, who I work for, he'll tell you, he doesn't know who hired who. Um, did they hire us or did I hire them? And it's kind of a running joke in, internally. And um, I started down there as um, their marketing and business development manager at Naples Harley-Davidson and very quickly found myself um, at Six Bins Harley, uh, which was our largest store at the time. And I knew that working for that company that I could retire here if if they allowed me to. And I knew that I wanted to be just like Scott Fisher. I wanted to lead like him. I wanted to hire like him. I wanted to have a culture like him. And I it gave me a very clear kind of mentor, like perfect fit mentor, right, of who you want to become. And that's really where that organizational health sparked is having come from, you know, the petroleum industry, and then doing a short stint there in a nonprofit, I knew that the culture that you have in an organization is what you make of it, right? Sometimes we kind of grow up in, in business where we believe this is what it's always like, or this is what it has to be. But Scott is one of those that writes his own scripts. He beats by his own drum. And I knew very quickly that that's the type of leader and mentor that I wanted to be one day. So that's really what sparked that passion for organizational health and, you know, my future. Awesome. So, uh, you know, we are, I'm doing a 40 day challenge in one of my Facebook groups on lead versus manage. And what you said about Scott Fisher, uh, that you wanted to be a leader, like just like him is exactly a lot of the topics in that 40 day challenge, because it talks about, um, you have to kind of be what you want all everyone else to be. And so if you want great leaders, you have to be a great leader. You have to lead by example, right? We've always heard that. And so it sounds like Scott Fisher is the epitome of, you know, that great leader that shows us how it's supposed to be done because we want to be just like him. Like, I love that. Yes. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, super. I, I love that story. And I love the, um, bikers are like teddy bears. <laughs> when you, when you hug them, their stuffing comes out. I have never heard that. Um, so talking about what you, you know, your, your journey of how you, oh, well actually, so that's how you ended up there, but how does DL, um, D digital lead performance relate to Harley Davidson? Cause you said you started at Harley Davidson. Um, tell us that Great transition. question. Great question. So I have had the pleasure of working for Scott Fisher almost 10 years now. 
Um, and so, yes, I started out in the dealerships. Um, and back in 2018, we sold the Florida stores. And so with that sale, um, Scott kept really three key leaders. He kept Kimberly, who's our CFO. He kept Aaron, who we'll talk about here in a moment, and me. Um, and I remember the day that he called me into the office and said, I have some news for you, but I need you to sign this NDA. And I was like, oh gosh, right? You know, I had never experienced this before. I didn't know what to expect. And so I thought, well, I hope I'm not giving away my kids because I actually really like them. And um, signed the non-disclosure and they shared with me that they were um, selling the two stores and that they wanted to retain me. And was I okay with that? And I remember looking at Scott and was like, I'll go wherever you want to go, right? Whatever you want to do, I appreciate you trusting in me. I appreciate you um, choosing me out of your hundreds of employees um, to be able to stay. And that was really that, you know, when we sold those stores. And so for about a year, um, I really served Scott in a little different manner. Um, I really managed his brand. I helped manage his philanthropic efforts and supported those philanthropies in developing strategies, you know, really helping him um, achieve what his best interest was inside of those philanthropies. And so I got a lot of hands-on, um, you know, strategic development from a nonprofit perspective. Because if you recall, I had a short stint there in nonprofit, which I genuinely loved. And so at the same time that I was managing Scott's brand and supporting him in that regard, the other team member, Aaron, who we referenced earlier, um, had this great idea of, well, what if we had a digital lead management service? So Aaron had managed the digital leads uh, for our seven dealerships at the time. We had seven Harley-Davidson dealerships, and he really managed that process. And he took us from having very little conversion to about a 50% conversion and really selling a great deal of motorcycles. And so Aaron had this really great idea of making it a service. And so that's how Digital Lead Performance was born. And so um, I transitioned kind of into Digital Lead Performance, really focused on business development and marketing and really helping Aaron bring this business to life from a marketing perspective, um, at the same time still supporting Scott. And then over a period of time, I became more and more involved and now full-time working with Digital Lead Performance. And we'll probably get into this later considering some of the questions that you probably have, but Digital Lead Performance um, was a the number one um, BDC concierge BDC organization in the power sports industry. Uh, we managed over a million leads, and then we decided to evolve from a service provider to a SaaS provider. Um, so we now are on the SaaS side of um, the industry, which is how you and I met Libby, is through SaaS Academy. So that gives you just a really high line evolution of the last 10 years. Awesome. And so, you know, can you tell us exactly what are, what is your role inside of Digital Lead Performance? Because here I have that you're the Director of Operations. So what exactly do you take care of from a day-to-day -day, and how many people are you managing right now? Well, let's go back to Digital Lead Performance as a service provider for a moment. Mm -hmm. So at that time, we had 65 team members and um, I operated that organization. Um, but 
as we moved into lead helm in the SaaS program, we went down to a bootstrap model. Um, so we have a very small team today. We're about 15. Um, so we, you can see we had a major change there. Um, so we're at about 15 people. Um, I really focus on supporting um, and developing strategies. So I build the different business strategies, marketing strategies, whatever those things are, and work closely with our teammates to bring those strategies to life. So my primary focus is on marketing and what we call Helm Academy. So that's bridging the educational gap between where we are today and where our dealers are, meeting them where they're at. But I really specialize in um, what we call the thematic goal. What's most important right now? That could be for the quarter, that could be for the year. And what are the things that we need to complete? And then I help our team achieve that. So my hands are in every single department in our organization, but my primary drive is on the marketing and Helm Academy side while we're in the, this bootstrap model. Awesome. So, you know, we're going to get off track from the questions a little bit because, um, sure. you know, you mentioned that um, you went from 65 to 15 employees. Mm. So, um, I, I, I know a little bit about the transition, um, because, you know, believe it or not, Aaron is practically an, my neighbor, not, we live super close together, like in the same area. Um, and so, you know, being friends with Aaron and seeing and, and hearing that transition of going from a full service to a SAS, what that was like. And then also I know from a leadership standpoint, many many people struggle with having to lay off staff whether whether they're you know whether it was their fault or our fault or you know if we get hit with bad times or recessions that is something that we never want to have to have that conversation it's just a difficult conversation and i'd love to hear um you know taylor how how did you one deal with your feelings about this Right. Because at the end of the day, we like people and, um, you know, it, it's got to hurt or you have to feel bad because I've been there. We've all been there where we we need to let somebody go, but we don't want to because we like them. How did you do that, though? But how did we, you do it with such grace and eloquence where you could do this transition and it still kept a rep, you know, a good name for the company and you still could, you know, go to sleep at night. And um, I'd love to hear that story. You know, Libby, I think I'm going to share some things that'll shock you. Okay. Um, the first thing is, is it was arguably the hardest decision we ever had to make as, a, as an organization, right? You go from being the number one concierge BDC in the power sports industry, serving dealers nationwide, um, you know, with a very strong MRR. I think we were about $400,000, $425,000 MRR. Um, so very strong. But knowing that there's a greater opportunity for growth and expansion, not only for our business, but for our industry as a whole, to move to be an SaaS provider. And with that, we knew that we couldn't take all 65 people and that hurt us to the core because, because we focus so much on organizational health, you heard me talk a little bit about that earlier, we really have this family mentality. Um, so it was the hardest decision that we had to make and what made it even harder was these are the key members that we know we're keeping, here's everybody else and we only have these one, two, three other positions. How do you select? right? That was difficult. So here's what we did, Libby. One, we made the decision, okay? Make the decision, 
stick with it. That was the hardest thing, but it had to happen. And then, of course, you have the timeline. Here's what that's going to look like as you roll it out to your customers. Here's how you roll it out to your um, team, et cetera. But what we did, Libby, was we had a company-wide communication that explained, and we had been very open with our team about our evolution over these years. Here's where we're going. Here's who we're becoming. Um, but we didn't know at that moment that, or during that time, that we were necessarily going to have to um, constrict before we could expand, right? And so when we made this announcement to the staff, it was very clear, very concise, very simple, very short, right? Here's what we're going to do. We did it in a um, full company um, mentality, like at, think about it as an all staff. Um, so for us, we have um, people working all over the country. We are a remote um, employer. And so we had to do it over Zoom, which is not the greatest, but it's better than a text or an email or a phone call, right? So we did it as... Um, in person as we possibly could. And so during that time, you know, we explained this evolution, who are we becoming, and these are the steps that we're going to take. But because of that, their last day of employment was going to be January 31st, 2023. And um, I delivered the message. It was definitely difficult. Um, but what we did, and this is the moment where I'll tell you um, that may raise some eyebrows, is every single person I gave them the opportunity to interview with a client or somebody that we knew. So I personally sourced interviews for every single individual that wanted it, helped them conduct the interview, worked on developing, these are the things that you want to talk about. These are the, here's your data. So I wrote a personal recommendation letter for every single person, including a snippet of what I loved most about them, the impact that they had on our organization and their performance and stats. And that accompanied every single person, whether they wanted to stay in the industry, stay in a similar role or go beyond. So it was written in a way. And then of course, if someone had questions or wanted to talk to that individual, my contact information um, was at the bottom. But during that time, Libby, 90% of our staff who were being let go said, hey, listen, I'd love the opportunity to do these interviews. And 90% of those people were placed. So that was the feel good moment after just it, because honestly, my gut was turned over for about three months, knowing what we were going to do. And, you know, how do you do this for people that you love and being able to have 90 percent of people raise their hand and say, yes, I want to walk this direction and then 90% of them to be placed, a lot of which are clients of ours today. Um, and then of course, within the industry is the best part about that because we made the most out of such a challenging situation, such a, because it's like what you said, we genuinely love those people. There was no reason for them to be let go other than a change in business and business direction. But to be able to place them is probably what I'm most proud of coming out of that transition because you know that those people will always be fans of your company. And when it comes time to hopefully us being able to serve those dealers, they're going to be the advocate that says, here's what they did for me. Awesome. So I love that story. I almost wanted to cry. <laughs> that you personally took it upon yourself to coach them, to guide them, to almost mentor them through the process. Yes. Because that is how you show that you care is, is by helping them and coaching them through the process. Um, you know, actions speak louder than words. And I had heard 
briefly that you helped place the majority of them, but you didn't tell me the story in depth. And, um, you know, that was one of the things that I wanted to hear. That's, you know, why, um, it's one of the things that made me want to invite Taylor on to here because I wanted to hear the story of how do you do something like that so seamlessly and, and, you know, keep your reputation, whether it's your personal or the professional reputation, um, and to go to sleep at night and whether we're in a recession or, oh my gosh, what they've been saying we're in a recession or it's coming for the last two years. I'm like, can it just please get here if it's coming? <laughs> like the anticipation is killing me. Um, but if we do get hit with, you know, a recession that supposedly they say is coming, uh, we may be faced with some of these things. We may be faced with what Taylor had to go through on a smaller scale. And so listening and learning to how she did that so that you can sleep at night so that you can feel like, yes, I did what I could. Um, it's, it's the fact that a situation changed is why I ha- is why this is happening. Um, and then you don't feel like such a bad person. Hmm. Right. Cause we don't I think want too, to during this, during this time too, Libby. Um, and I think it goes back to, you know, your stance in your industry as well. You know, the relationships that you've built to be able to call these dealers. And again, we're in the power sports industry to be able to say, this is what we're doing. And this is what I have to offer you. The amount of dealers that said, yes. I would love to hire one of your staff. Here's what you guys have done for us over the past years. I would love to have one of your team members on our team. And to be able to take that time to coach them through, how do you build a pay plan that works for your organization based on what they're familiar with? How do you manage a remote employee? How do you manage a new process that you haven't had to manage before? So it was such a unique time, Libby, and it goes beyond just the ability to place staff, but the ability to be able to serve the industry in a way that we never knew that we would do. We didn't even know possible. Yes. And you mentioned something. Imagine what the dealers then thought of you by doing so much to help and and care for your current staff it probably elevated mm-hmm. you guys even more and showed even more respect uh, the dealers probably respect you guys even more now than they did before knowing that you cared so much to do this um so that is a great story um some of those tips alone we can use all the time if we have to let go or make cutbacks just helping and and using the connections we already have, whether they're locally or uh, remotely to help, you know, um, make things right at the end of the day. Can be as simple as writing a recommendation letter, just as simple as writing a personalized recommendation letter that says, Libby's been on our team since this time. Here's what Libby did really, really great right here and make it personal, right? Too often people say, yeah, I'll send you a recommendation letter and they go pull a template off of Google. But when you can personally write that and say, this is the impact that they had on the organization and this is the performance, not only does that go a long way with the future employer, but with that individual who will never forget you and never forget your organization because even in a tough time, you still had their back. Awesome. So I see definitely you have a passion for culture, right? And building it and retaining it. What would, what would be three tips that you could give us either three culture tips uh, or just three tips as a leader to really help build that culture so that we can then grow our company? 
It's really important to understand before we talk about these tips is that it takes three to 4% of people to sway a culture positively or negatively, right? Three to 4%. So if you have a hundred person business, that's three to four people, right? Now imagine if you have a 50 person, right? You're looking at two people, right? Mm-hmm. Think about, you know, what this looks like. And so the first thing that I would say is you have to build trust. You have to have that strong communication. It needs to be top up, right? Or top down and bottom up communication. It needs to be lateral communication. You have to do what you say you're going to do. If you say, this is what we're going to do, then you better do it. If you tell somebody that this is how I'm going to support you or here's what we're going to do, we have to make sure that that happens. Building trust is the number one thing. And we all can reference Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, right? And it's very important that we understand that the foundation of anything is trust. And if we can't build trust, we're never going to build to where we need to be to perform and to grow our organization. And so it starts with trust. So that's the first thing is really um, building trust. The second thing is mastering conflict. People don't realize that there's healthy conflict is necessary in an organization because when you have the trust, let's say that I, Libby and I work in the same organization and we have a great deal of trust. And what I mean by trust is we believe in the greater possibility of our organization. We believe that we're going to do the right thing. Even when no one's looking, we're committed, we're reliable, right? And when we have that foundation, we have the ability to raise our hand and say, I don't agree with that. And here's why. But the other person has the ability to say, explain that to me, right? And you have the ability to have this healthy tr- uh, healthy conflict and this discussion because you have this foundation of trust that both people or that group has the best interest of the organization at heart. And it allows us to discuss perspectives. It allows us to leverage our experience. It allows us to leverage data to really understand what is best for our organization. And through mastering that conflict and through that healthy conflict, you have the ability to agree and move forward or disagree but move forward, right? And that's the beauty of mastering conflict. And then the last thing that I would say is accountability. You can only hold people accountability uh, accountable to the expectations that you set, right? So with the foundation of trust, with that healthy conflict, and then the accountability that says, this is what we agreed to and it's best for our organization, we're going to hold each other accountable to that. It is not just a top-down accountability. It is a lateral accountability. It is from the bottom up that says, hey, We said we were going to do this. We are all in on this. And accountability goes across the organization. And I'll add a bonus to this is I talked a little bit about communication, but communication goes further than just what we say and what we do. It it bleeds into the one-on-ones that we have with our team, right? It's in making sure that if we have direct reports, we meet with them every single week, right? We want to ask them, What are your wins right now? Celebrate with them. What are you learning? What are the insights, right? Learn with them. And then lastly, what are your biggest challenges right now? And how can I help you overcome that? And that can come in the form of training. It could come in the form of resources. It can come in so many different forms. But that goes back to building trust, having that communication, mastering that conflict and holding people accountable. And then the last part I'll add to that communication is career pathing. So every organization needs a level of career pathing. It does not matter if you're a small team or if you're a big team. You need to know your team beyond the surface level. 
what are their hopes and dreams beyond this entry-level position? What are their hopes and dreams beyond being a team leader, right? Because you may be really surprised what a team member tells you that they hope to do in the future. And that allows you to start to test that talent. It allows you to educate them and potentially put them in a position in the future because you know that they have that organizational health. You know that they're a fit. They behave the way you want to, but their goal is maybe to go from an entry-level position to a marketing manager. So what can you teach them over the next three years to become that? Awesome. So many things going through my mind right now. Um, I love that the, um, you know, the the trust factor, and I am a huge Patrick Lencioni fan, huge, love him. Um, do you know what the opposite of trust is? Lack of? No, it's fear. Oh, sure. It's fear. So I, I just, I got to go to the EOS conference um, last week and they were giving, yeah, it was great. It was in Indianapolis, it was in, in Indianapolis, it was great. Um, and I got to see um, Benjamin Hardy speak. Um, he's, he helped write, write the book, who, not how he's kind of Dan Sullivan's ghostwriter, partner writer. He's the who, <laughs> um, sure. so, you know, he talked about the opposite of, of trust is fear. Um, and when we can take out the fear, then we can develop the trust. And it's typically why we don't trust something is because we fear something somewhere about it. Right. And it's not fear like, oh, I'm scared. It's more fear. Like, I'm not sure it's the unknown. It, it's ultimately fear is the opposite of trust. Um, and then you, you're the first person that I have talked to probably that mentions the, um, conflict, <laughs> mastering mm -hmm. that healthy conflict. I love conflict. I don't love, I mean, I don't like when we have meetings and they, everyone just agrees with everything right? Then you know that there's something wrong. You know, because there's yes. no way that we can all just agree on everything. I love One of the things I learned really early from, um, and again, Scott Fisher, I'll probably reference often is he taught us how to probe for it, how to challenge, even if you agree, challenge it anyway. Because you want to make sure that the other person really stands firm in that decision or really stands firm on that opinion. And if you can't mine for it and you can't challenge it, then it's a bit of um, a facade, right? Because the thing that you want to break down inside of organizational health are silos. If everybody agrees, which we know isn't necessarily possible every time, right? There's going to be times where we all agree on something. But in most cases, there's going to be somebody that, that wants to challenge it but is afraid to speak up. But with that foundation of trust, you have that ability, right? So it goes back to the foundation of trust. But what it also does is it makes things very real and it allows you to achieve the results and performance faster when you have that healthy conflict. And if you can't probe for it, then you have to go back to what kind of foundation of trust do I have? Because maybe it's not where it needs to be. Absolutely. And then lastly, just real fast, you know, your communication for leadership or um, for building culture, I'm sorry, communication. And um, at the ELS conference, like they were talking about, you know, you're always leaking. You're always leaking something. And the way they addressed it, it was really interesting because you said, you know, do one-to-ones, you need to, you know, you need to lead by example um, with accountability. You know, you can only ask for what you're accountable for. Um, 
but it was really interesting when they said the leaking part and it made me really think um even about my children because they said we are always leaking mm -hmm. something whether it's positive or negative whether we're, it's frustration you're leaking something and it's subconscious you can't tell at times that it's leaking from the bottom and what is that like mm -hmm. when you're frustrated but you're talking to someone that you're not frustrated with you're still leaking that frustration in your tone and in your action and and how you respond or even in your body language um and so you know, I had thought to myself as I was listening to this, thinking like, what am I leaking? Even in, even though I communicate, I'm leaking something. And we have to be kind of self-aware of like, what is that leaking out? Because that ultimately will affect our culture or the people that we're leading. You know, whether it's we've had a bad day, we can't leak that little stuff out um, without, to me, addressing it. Because then they're gonna, not gonna understand you know, why we were leaking those little things. Um, and if we address it though, right, that communication, uh, then they understand, oh, she's just having a bad day. It's not me. Or, oh, she's frustrated. It's not me. <laughs> Versus not communicating and just leaking it out everywhere. Um, it's going to really kill your culture. But I love that concept is where we are always leaking. <laughs> I've never heard that before, Libby, but um, I really like it. Um, I think it's something I'll, I'll definitely teach our team. You know, I think just to reference that for a minute, I think it's important that we're all human, right? As much as work and culture wants to build us into be this machine, you know, that grinds all the time, that's always hustling, we're still human. And it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be real. It's okay to say, hey team, I'm having a bad morning, you know, couldn't get my kids out of bed. Or hey, I'm having a bad morning, I screwed up on something and it's just kind of put me in a mood. Because when we're human, it puts us on the same playing field. And too often as leaders, we attempt to elevate ourselves, right? We tend to, you know, want to move ourselves up here, but forget that what they really want is a human. They want a human that leads them because as humans, we want to be led, right? That is that is human nature. We want to be led by someone. And with that, we have to still be human. If we're a machine, humans don't want to follow machines. They want to follow yeah. other humans. Yes, absolutely. And so that being said, we know you are infectiously positive. <laughs> I, I, I'll see Taylor on Facebook like, oh, there she is again. Like she's so like positive and inspiring. And so, you know, given all of the stress that you either go through during, you know, being, you know, the director of operations, um, or even during the difficult times when you had to transition from a service to a SaaS, um, you know, what would you, what, you know, we want to know how, how do you manage that mindset so that you can stay positive? You know, Libby, I think that I have a lot of thoughts and we could probably talk about this one question all day. Um, I think that as, as people, as leaders, we are not guaranteed an easy life, right? We are not guaranteed that everything is going to be perfect, that all of our strategies are going to come to fruition, that everything that we declare is going to happen right? And we have to remember that we have the ability to stand up or we have the ability to succumb. And we should always choose to stand up, right? It doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. You have to be, you know, able to stand back up. But I think one of the things that I really focus on as a leader and as a mom is to always lead with love and grace. 
right? Everything that you do, do it in love. Whether it's for your organization, for your team, for your family, for yourself, you do it out of love because you just genuinely care, right? And even in tough conversations, I can't tell you how many tough conversations I've had to have, but you still lead with love. That's like, listen, I need you to understand that as an individual, I love you, right? I want to see you succeed. I want you to achieve these goals that you have set in your career pathing. But sometimes love comes with hard love, right? And sometimes that means this is what we said we we're going to do and we didn't. Or this is what we needed to do and this is actually what happened and this is not what we want. This is not a behavior we want to continue, right? So there's a level of love um, that I like to carry through with my leadership style. And the other is grace. We all make mistakes. Again, we are not machines. We are human people with hearts and souls and minds, right? We we have feelings, we have emotions, we have things that impact our decisions or or impact, you know, the way we react or or um, act. And it's important that we lead with grace in the sense of, hey, we're going to do this right the first time to the best of our ability. But if we don't, we're going to figure out what do we need to do to get it right the second time. Or if something happens, be able to say, look, I get it. You had a bad day. Look, you tried something new and you failed. Not a big deal. Now we're going to do it my way. Right. And so one of the things that I have internally is I will always lead with grace and we will always try it your way the first time. But then the second time is my time. Right. So we're going to make sure that we give the opportunity um, to let that person lead, let them learn and let them, you know, guide or trailblaze their own path. And one of the things that I use a lot um, with our team is I will set you up for failure. I will make sure that you try new things and do things out of your comfort zone and things that you've never done. And there's going to be times when you fail, but when you do, I'm going to pick you right back up and we're going to make sure that then we do it together because then you'll learn. Because if I do it for you or for them every time, they're never going to learn and the the company will never progress, right? We think about success was never built on perfection. Success is built on failure. Now, how many failures? That's to every individual and every business, right? It could be one, two, three. It could be millions, right? And that can come in the form of tasks or dollars. And and it's important to to allow our team to fail because that's the only way they learn. I heard a phrase the other day and it said that failure is nothing but R&D, right? Failure. And, yeah, I loved it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's yeah. gold. So R&D in this, you know, for the SaaS world is research and development. So failure is nothing but R&D. I was like, that's, that's like the best thing I've heard all day. Um, and so that is so true as far as, you know, really, you know, keeping that mindset of knowing, I love the phrase that I'm going to set you up with failure and kind of pushing them to know that we want them to grow and learn and you will make mistakes along the way. And that's okay. Um, so we, we, we know you're super passionate about, you know, inspiring and coaching your team. Um, you know, when did you become one is, you know, how do you, how do you make sure that your message gets heard or gets across the team? And then my next question is, is, you know, how, how do you know, or when do you feel like, you know, you're making an impact or they're being, you're being heard? Hmm. Great question. So let's start with internally first. So internally, it's 
goes to what is the company level, right? What's most important right now? Everybody understands what's most important. How are we going to get there? And how do they play a role in achieving that? It does not matter what level or position that you're in. Everybody's a part of the goal of the company. So that's the first thing is really understanding what's most important and communicating that. Then there's a level of cascading right? It's being able to say over and over, Libby, what's most important for our company right now? Libby's direct report, what's most important to the company right now? And it's cascading that message to ensure that everybody understands. And then that then trickles into our management meetings, into our one-on-ones, into our career pathing, into just passing by. It all goes back to communication and that cascading or consistent or even um, just over and over and over, right? We know that consistency is what sets leaders apart. Everybody can do something once, but it's the people that do it over and over that sets them apart. And then, you know, when we think about externally, you know, when we think about coaching and training, you know, you can do those in so many different degrees. Um, right now, I tend to do this in kind of middle, mid-sized groups. Um, so I do a lot of training in kind of like the 30-person group. Um, and it's usually topical you know, on a specific topic, you know, uh, recently I actually did a training session on leading a winning team. Um, so ironically, a lot of what we're talking about was inside of that. And you'd be surprised how many organizations have never considered these things, Libby. They, they believe that their team is their greatest asset, but they don't invest in it. Exactly. You said the key word, they don't invest in it. Yes. Um, that was good. They don't. And it's, it's, and I believe that a lot of companies have great owners, um, but actually taking the next step. And I do believe they have great teams, but taking the next step to say, I'll financially invest in this, right? Cause you, before we went live, you were telling me that you guys hired someone for an offsite and it was, li- it was like life changing <laughs> for the company. Yes. But um, investing in it is is key because you're bringing in people, mentors, coaches who have either been there, done that, had the failure to learn from it. Um, and I think that when we try to figure it out ourselves is when we tend to get stuck. Mm. I read um, Libby the other day on LinkedIn and forgive me because I can't remember um, who had written it, but they talked about gaps, right? And having Woot recruit and the the recruiting agency that you have, this is going to resonate. So they they were talking about how in the past when we as leaders or hirers would look at these um, resumes and we'd see gaps, right? Or we'd see what we call job jumping or, you know, whatever phrase we want to call it. And the perspective was, Rather than looking at it from an employee's perspective on maybe what that employee didn't do well, maybe what that employee, you know, didn't buy in or what have you, the perspective was really unique and said, did you ever think about maybe that employer didn't have a good culture? Did you ever think that that employer didn't invest in their team? Maybe that employer didn't career path. Maybe that employer didn't allow flexible schedules while their child was sick, right? And I thought, oh my goodness. I have never considered that. And I, it, frankly, um, doing all the phone interviews and, and hiring for our company, I'm going to look at this differently now because it, it makes you want to say, what environment were they in that they said, I'm not going to be a part of this. I want something better. 
We do a ton of internal teaching um, for Woot Recruit customers. We have an entire Woot Recruit Academy. It's an LMS. Um, it's very similar to what we get in SAS Academy. Um, and we just talked about this yesterday. Um, when it comes to, you know, trying to see character and, and, and one of the um, topics was experience. We put so much weight on mm -hmm. experience and not accomplishments because we're like, oh, well, they only worked here six months and I have six months experience. Or we put all this weight on, oh, they have five years experience, but that doesn't mean they accomplished anything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it goes both ways as in like, I'm not real heavy on resumes um, or the job hopping because um, COVID did a lot of things to people's careers. Like my husband completely lost his career um, and couldn't get a job because he was too specialized. So mm. it was, you know, those gaps are true because when you know how many businesses are out there, but then you know how many not great business owners there are or not great managers and whether it's just the lack of education or bad day or remember a title doesn't give you the authority it just buys you time to earn it right mm -hmm. maybe they got the title but they haven't earned that authority and they're just not great at managing you don't know why that person left you're judging them based off of information you don't have the whole scenario for that's a really great point. And Libby, I'll tell you, I'm a firm believer that um, I hire for heart, not skill. Um, I can teach you anything you need to know if you have the heart and drive. That's something I can't teach. And mm -hmm. so when I look at hiring, I always hire for fit. And I will tell you the first thing that I do for every resume is I flip to last page and I see what do you do outside of work? Because I want to know, do you volunteer? What do you do? Like, how, who are you beyond work? And um, it goes back to, you know, w what behaviors do you exude, right? Like, who are you outside of this position? Because I'm looking to hire a person, not a machine, right? And so when you have the, the first interview, the first thing that I actually ask per a person, and I kid you not, I actually say, before we have an interview, I want to know what do you do outside of work? And it shocks them every time, but then they open up. Oh, I love to kayak. I love to fish. I love to hang out with my family. I love, it just gives you a different level of understanding of who that individual is. And if they can't say that I like to do those things, maybe it's they, they work all the time or then that's not a good fit for us because we want somebody who lives life beyond work. Absolutely. And so I'm so glad you brought this up, like what you do outside of work. We did check your LinkedIn profile before we did the interview, just to get some homework on, just to do our homework, right? And we noticed okay. that you're a big volunteer, right? You volunteer in your community. Um, and so, you know, as, as, you know, as a volunteer, you know, why do you think that volunteering in your community is important when it comes to being a leader? Well, you should give back to the community that gives to you, right? Have you ever heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> give back to that village, mm -hmm. right? And um, I believe that, you know, as leaders, it's our job to give back to the community that has given to us. You know, we have to identify what are we most passionate about and serve those in need. Sometimes we have to be the voice for those that can't speak. Sometimes we have to do the action for those that can't, right? And it's really important that we do that not only for ourselves, but also for our children, right? 
it's really important that our children see that there are people less fortunate than us and it is our job to serve them and support them as a community because that's what we are, is a community. And we have to remember too that giving back comes back in many, it's in many forms, right? It could be in talent, it can be in time, it can be in treasure, right? Not everybody, especially young leaders, have the ability to give back in a treasure right? They may not be able to donate a lot of money, but maybe what they do is they can give some time. I can help, um, you know, maybe volunteer at the shelter or whatever it is and just help hands-on. Maybe it's some talent. Maybe we're really great marketers or maybe we're really great operators or whatever our talent is and says, hey, we can serve this group or this nonprofit by offering that talent. And then as we continue to grow, maybe we have the ability to give treasure or um, money as well. Absolutely. We are very big. My other company organize it. Um, we're very big into volunteering in the community and especially for our children. So you brought up kids. And so I want to kind of go to a different direction and, you know, for the working parents, right? Not, not even necessarily moms, but for the working parents, like I have a couple questions in this kid realm. How, you know, what's your best advice on juggling you know, being a director of this company, plus having children and being married, how do you balance all of it? Oh, Livy, <laughs> this is an ever evolving, delicate balance. Um, I don't get it right all the time. Um, a lot, of, actually, honestly, I get it wrong a lot. Um, I think, you know, just as we talk about the importance of building trust in our organizations, it's important to build trust in our marriages and in our families, right? And when your husband says, that's enough, you have officially worked 65 hours this week, you're done. You have to respect that, right? Um, but I think there's also that balance of, you know, that relationship with your spouse that's, you know, we tag team dinners, right? Uh, I'll tell you, my my husband is an officer, um, currently works night shift, and we work the exact opposite schedules. Um, so we're in a little different season right now. So we evolve every quarter, right? So our seasons change depending on his work environment. Um, but we have to have a level of work-life balance because we have to be able to serve our, our work. You know, we have to serve our team. We have to serve our industries. We have to serve our clients. But we also have to serve our families right? You know, we have to be a really great spouse. We have to be a really great mom if those that are moms, you know, and we also have to be great friends, right? Because those are the things that pour into us. When we think about work, we're constantly pouring out, right? We sometimes have some people pour into us, whether it's wins, whether it's customers, you know, sharing how great something is or their experience, or maybe it's a mentor. But Oftentimes work, we're pouring out of our bucket, right? We're pouring into others. But the best way to get poured back into to refill that tank is actually our home life, right? It's that rest. It's that time with your spouse. It's the time with your kids. It's being able to turn off your phone, right? One of the things that I've recently started is kind of this digital Sabbath every Sunday. Um, so on Sunday mornings, there's no work. There is no 
Um, nothing, right? You know, we, our family, we go to church on Sundays and then we usually go hiking after um, and we go do something because uh, you may know, Libby, we recently relocated uh, to Southwest Utah. Um, yeah. We, I do go to Florida every month, um, but we recently relocated. So we hike all the time. And then usually Sunday evenings, we have a family that comes over and we have dinner together. And there is nothing better than that Sunday for me. You know, being able to spend time with my husband, with my kids, with our friends, being able to be outside in nature and completely disconnect. But it's also really important that our children see that. I think that if even if, Libby, you and I are to look back at our um, years of experience, like our years of work, the the culture has changed, right? The culture has changed to a, a grind mentality, a hustle mentality, a you must work all of these hours if you're going to be a successful, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. And it's important that our children see us work really, really hard and achieve goals and progress and learn and grow. But our children also have to see us break away and focus on family and focus on rest and focus on hobbies because our children learn from us. We are their number one learning source, right? And the way we behave is what they're going to learn. If we're on our phones all the time, our children are going to be on their phones. If we teach them to um, go outside, they're going to go outside. If we teach them to volunteer, if we teach them to work hard, if we teach them to spend time with family, that's what they're going to do. And so it's important that this delicate balance that we have between leadership and being a parent or being a spouse is to also dedicate the same amount of time and focus to our families so i love that and um can totally sympathize with getting it wrong a lot <laughs> um because i get the question too on you know kids because i built organize it and we recruits when yaya was a baby um or started mm. it when she was still little um, so my kids are pretty spread out in age, but I will definitely tell you it's a working, evolving process because as the company grows, then my schedule changes, then I grow or I change and we have to adjust our, our family lives to it or, or just our businesses to our family lives, vice versa. And, um, I will say we tag team it as well. Um, as far as who takes kids to school, who picks them up, who cooks dinner, it's not all on one person. It's not all on me. It's not all on Chris, my husband. Um, but we get it wrong often. <laughs> um, and we, every, ever like once a month, we say, oh, we need to sit down and look at our schedules again because something's not working. <laughs> wow. And and then we tweak it and it works good for a little while. And then we're like, oh, we have to, we have to do it again. And we tweak it. And I think it's never going to stop because our kids change too, you know, like, um, Austin, yes. he plays travel basketball. We may get it right for a month and then basketball season starts and you're like, oh, well that all went to, you know, the wayside cause it doesn't work now. Cause it's, it's boss. It's, it's basketball season. So, um, I totally feel your pain. And I do think that a, you have to have, um, a support team around you that you guys are both moving in the same direction. Like you and your partner, just like in business have the same end goal. You're rolling in the same direction and you know why you're doing this. Uh, I had yes. posted a post yesterday on Facebook, I think, and it, and it said that, you know, there's this small group or segment or cohort, whatever you want to call it, of people 
that now lo no longer care about titles and lunches and tra work travel and money. They care about managing their time, having a little money in the bank, but developing a great life and family. Yes. And I think that COVID is the one, and I hate bringing that up, that, but is the one that really did that for a lot of us, um, really changed our perspective on what's important. And we have the same rule. No, I don't always follow it on Sunday, the no phones. Chris is much better than I am. He turns it off. Um, he's good. I'll like sneak it and I'm like, I got to look at something. <laughs> um, but definitely, you know, having that balance of exercise, I'm big on food. Um, what you put in your body, um, you know, really affects your mental clarity and the ability to complete your work or do it. Um, but there's one person you left out when you said you have to be a good uh, friend and a good parent. You, you have to be good to yourself. I'm not great at that. My husband coaches me through this a lot. It's that would be my, my, probably my biggest opportunity Libby is I, um, I am one that gives and serves. Um, so I want to give to others all the time. I want to serve all the time, but I forget myself a lot. And I think that's, that's almost like a raw, like hot point, um, because I'm not very good at that. Yeah. I've gotten better. It takes, it takes planning and attention. Hmm. Um, sometimes I fall off the wagon, um, but then I have to get back on because I feel the burnout or I feel the heaviness of it because I start to run out of stuff to give. And so hmm. it, it comes with great intent. I do it with intention because if I not, if I don't, I, I, the cup is eventually empty. Um, and so I have yes. to kind of refuel to, and that comes personally, um, you know, just needing that balance for myself so that then in turn, I can be a good friend, wife, mother. Um, and it's something I had to learn a couple years ago, but you brought up a good topic. As you said, you, you're a giver, you love to serve. Um, you really put the greater good above yourself. You have that focus, right? And you have a focus on achieving your goals, but also helping others get to theirs. So I would say, where do you get this fire from, right? Where, where do you get the fire to be so committed? Where does it come from? Um, it's a really good question. Um, I think part of it is, you know, our outlook on life, you know, how do we see life? How do we see challenges? You know, how do we see family? You know, what is our outlook? I do believe that we're all stewards of business, right? It doesn't matter if you're a founder or if you're a trainee, right? You know, we're all stewards of the business because the organization always exists beyond making money, right? Nobody starts a business and said, I am simply doing this for money, right? An organization exists because they want to serve someone or they want to help someone or they want to achieve something or they want to change the w a process or whatever it may be, right? Or change and the world. And so to me, or change the world, yes. How do you make the world a better place? That's usually what you see in the in the um, books that we read, right? You know, how do you, how do you make the world a better place? And so for me, I look at it as, can I... Can I create a better world? I'm going to use this, the same terminology here. 
can I create a better world for my family? Can I create a better world for my children? Can I create a better world for the people that I love, like my team, right? For our industry. You know, in that fire, a lot of it comes from within, right? A lot of it is just the the gotta wanna, right? I genuinely want to do this and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. So a lot of that fire comes from within and it comes from, you know, this outlook that we have, but also too, I have some good mentors to look up to. You know, I referenced Scott Fisher earlier. I see what that man has accomplished in his 60 years of life. And I think, boy, if I can only do half of that, right? You know, so when you have the right mentors you know, um, it really allows you to um, look beyond the hill, you know, look beyond the horizon. And it's really important that we surround ourselves with people that we want to become. Um, Scott always talks about we should always be students of the business and never be the smartest person in a room. And as soon as you are the smartest person in the room, it's time to get a new room. And Mm -hmm. um, that has really stuck with me for a long time. And so um, it's important for me to be around people that are significantly more advanced than I am. Uh, That's one of the reasons why we joined the Dan Martell SAS Academy. Every time we go to an intensive, I think, oh, man, there's another rung I've got to climb, right? You know, there's these great people who are just so sharp, but also willing to talk to people like me, you know, who haven't been there yet and to pour into me and show me or say, this is the failure that I had, but here's what I learned from it. So it's important to understand that fire can come from different places. It comes from within. It comes from your outlook. It comes from your mentors, the people you surround yourself with, but also your friends. Because remember, life isn't just about work. We have to be able to say, who are the people that we surround ourselves with outside of work, the people who, you know, say, hey, come hike with me. Hey, come kayaking with me. Hey, let's get our kids together. Let's have a barbecue, right? And I'm just pulling a couple things off the the top of my head there. But we need that too. That fire is necessary too. Absolutely. Um, I loved all of this. So Taylor, you know, if you have... You know, is there a lasting, a last message, something important, um, maybe that we didn't cover that you want to share with our viewers slash listeners, if you're listening through the podcast, um, is there anything you just wanted to, um, you know, discuss or just leave us with a, a lasting message? Um, considering what we talked about today, um, is really two things. The first one is, is that nobody achieves the top of the ladder by themselves, right? Nobody gets to, there's that, um, and I'm not going to say this properly. I can't remember if it was a proverb or whatever it was, but um, it actually, it wouldn't have been a proverb, but um, the turtle doesn't get to the top of the fence post by itself, right? And I may not be saying that properly. It had to have help, right? So in business, lean on those around you, be vulnerable, ask for help, um, but also in return, do the same for the team. Help them achieve, you know, their goals the way someone helped you achieve theirs. And then the other thing is, is find your balance, right? It is a very delicate, ever-evolving thing, but find your balance between work and and, um, home and you'll find that you'll be much happier, you'll be more productive, and you'll have greater performance and results. Awesome. So I want to thank you for being a guest on the Art of Transformational Leadership. So... Um, you know, what's next for you or where can our listeners find you at? 
Uh, LinkedIn is probably best. Um, one of the things I'm working on right now is really um, putting out content through LinkedIn. I haven't done it as well as I should have, so that's a big focus for me. Uh, so find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure Libby and the team will link that in the chat or in the um, in the copy following this um, this podcast. But would love to connect. Would love to continue to uh, build my network and and learn from everybody. I want to learn from every person, all walks of life, and uh, would love to connect. Awesome. Yes. And we'll make sure to add her LinkedIn um, link in the, in the comments or in, um, in the show notes. So I want to thank you also for listening to our podcast. If you want to find other sessions, you can find them on all our, all of our social media pages, um, as well as um, the Libya DeLucian website. And I'm the only Libby DeLucian in the world, so it's pretty easy to find my social media handles. Um, if you enjoyed today's show, please feel free to share it with a friend, a business owner, a manager, someone who's struggling in that leadership realm, or if they just want to learn. Um, again, thank you for joining us on the journey towards becoming a transformational leader. Keep inspiring positive change in the world.